Yan. Okay, gozai naman, bro. How are you? Okay, gozai mas. That's uh, it. I'm good, I'm good. Um, Finally. I'm very happy to talk about a place that I that I lived in for two years, Japan. Oh, you were two years? Oh, yeah, yeah, Kyoto. Yeah, yeah, you were in Kyoto. Yeah, I, 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 didn't live in, I didn't live in the center of power. I, I lived in an old center. Old imperial, yeah. Old, old, old imperial yeah, center. Original one. Um, in many ways, it's uh, Kyoto is a kind of Vienna. You know, it's a, it's an old imperial power. And the, the trappings of that imperial history are still there. You know, right. so you see old power, but in many ways it's fossilized. It's right. in the past. Um, Beautifully and, fossilized, no? I mean, in a very tasteful way. Unlike, but but, yeah. but these cities, these two cities, Kyoto and Vienna, they seem to revel in the glories of the past. That's uh, an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. I've always thought of Kyoto as the Vienna. I never maybe. thought about it that way. That's an interesting comparing Kyoto to Vienna. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Vienna is definitely one of the most underappreciated uh European capitals. Although if you're a fan of Jung Ethan Hawk's movie, like before sunrise, I mean be, after before oh, yeah, sunrise, yeah. you will see the you know beauty of Vienna and all. Now I want to talk about Japan because we had two episodes, the secret history of China, Philippine relations. Uh umabot tayo sa ano kung sino sino lang kung ano nang mamarites natin dun, but uh but we also talk about the US Philippine relations, a lot of general Luna discussions, a lot of fascinating discussions. But now I want to talk about Japan because Japan has been a big part of modern Philippine history, right? Because Japan's own encounter with modernity and with the Western imperialism is a very unique and transformative one, which will really have a huge impact on how early 20th century uh, will will uh, will transpire. And we're talking about global history here, no? Hindi lang uh, regional history or Southeast Asian history. Now, um, obviously, the reason why, Lela, I want to talk about it is because now there's serious discussion. I'm, I'm saying this, you know, as someone who's in touch with policymakers and all. There's serious discussions about negotiating a visiting forces agreement between Philippines and Japan uh, in a sense that Japan will be able to deploy troops to the Philippines, similar to the United mm -hmm. States, to specific bases, to specific facilities, etc. Now, for some people, that sounds like just logical, just the logical next step after a reciprocal access agreement, after all of these new defense deals we're doing with them, we're also going to be recipient of the first special OD, overseas uh, security assistance from Japan, so on and so forth. But obviously, I also expect a lot of opposition to this, especially from comfort women victims or the relatives, uh, from a lot of people. You know, my grandmother is just around here. She can still recite, you know, the, the Japanese imperial anthem because that, that yeah. allowed her to save her parents from being buried alive. Because wow. you know, that's so, bro, I mean, like goosebumps level, right? Um. I, I think wow. I have a video of Lola. I'll, I'll make Lola do this again. She can do the national. So once I think she, we had the Japanese friend and then she did it, not knowing that the modern Japanese, you know, are, are essentially have an amnesia about what happened, right? And, and they were saying, yeah, like, oh. is that a military song? No, my Lola said, no, that's your national anthem. They couldn't like, really? Like, you know, so yeah. So Japan is Japan, right? But before going to the horror side and the exciting side nowadays, uh, what are the first encounters we had with Japan? Because I I, I I came across some materials that talk about Ronin, Samurai Ronin, together with, I don't know, Chinese pirates or something invading Spanish Philippines. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, you tell me, bro. I mean, uh, I'm a super fan of Samurai. I don't know the first interaction. Like, uh, these, these are definitely my limits. I'm sure there are pre-Spanish interactions. I mean, this is Asia, right? And um, so 
for example, I know that in the 14th and 15th century, um, during the age of trade um, in Southeast Asia, Dynasty, uh, yeah, yeah. this was the time when Southeast Asia, including the Philippines, was essentially first integrated into global trade because of the spice trade. Remember, for Europe, most of the spices like pepper, cloves, nutmeg, yeah. so coming from Southeast Asia. So in a way, this is the first regionalization of Asia, Southeast Asia, regionalized as a result. So and daming pumapasok na, na capital sa Southeast Asia during that right. time. And um, most of the capital that was coming in was was silver. So it was like silver coming in, right. and spices coming out. And there were two sources of silver at that time. It was, number one, it was like South American silver. So even at that time, it konti ng South American silver na pumapasok, even before With the... Inca, uh, before the Inca, Inca level or like Spanish Latin America? Like what is Span- this? Spanish... Spanish, Spanish na, Spanish na. Oh, Spanish yeah. na, kasi 14th, hmm, wait lang, wala pa yata. Sorry, I think you jumped na. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wanna, I'm just like, really? We had cost trade with Incas? And uh, I don't think so, did we? Can we just, can we, can yeah, yeah, we, can yeah. we? Now, now 14th, yeah, I think you jumped a little bit, bro. But it's okay. So I absolutely, yeah, 14th, 15th century, this is Ming Dynasty era. A lot of spice trade, a lot of you know interaction mm-hmm. with Muslim civilization, Islamic civilization. This is when Islam is also taking yeah. much of Nusant for South Asia, and then of course later in comes the Portuguese, the Dutch, the Spanish. Uh, yes, yes. But I, I actually, I actually think Merona, Merona, you know, no, come to think of it, it may not necessarily be Spanish silver, but there's already definitely, there's definitely trade already with Europe, and then eventually right. Spanish silver with the with the establishment of the port of Manila. Um, and nice. then some of that silver is also coming from Japan. Japan's also a major silver source for right. this kind of spice trade. So it's silver. Tokugawa era na ba? Tokugawa na to? Umabot na sa Tokugawa? This, this, this would have been 16th century. So it starts 14th, it starts 14th century. Right, right, right. I would, right. I, would, uh, I would recommend people read yung, yung two books ni uh, Anthony Reed about this right. from the 14th century until the 16th century. Um, in Southeast Asia. You have a so, book behind you. You were showing me a while ago, right? This this thing about yeah, yeah. Iba pang iba pang iba pang libro iba pang libro yon, Brad. So um, but anyway, definitely by 16th century, anjaning anjaning silver world, and the, then the port of Manila is kind of like central to it with the arrival of the with the with the creation of the port Ay, of Manila, yeah. Spaniard. So konti lang alam ko doon. So obviously shaky, shaky yung aking historiography dyan and my dates are kind of wibbly wobbly. So yeah, no worries guys... about it. That maybe it's too early for yeah, you. Guys sorry. Better, you guys better fact check me. But um, the the source that I I would ask people to look at is kind of Anthony Anthony reads two books on Southeast Asia in the Age of Commerce. Two right. volumes on Kapal. Um, definitely they're, worth it. Yeah, it's a must. Yeah, they're, 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 they're they're definitely worth it. Um, but what I want to talk about, actually, um, as important, is yung, in, in the 19th century, yung Yokohama as a hotbed for Asianism and a lot of um, a lot of thinkers who were thinking about Southeast Asian nationalism because Yokohama was a kind of was a kind of port that uh, yung Yokohama sobrang lapit lang sa, sa Tokyo eh. so that's right, effectively right, the, right. the port of Tokyo. In fact, Tokyo has no. Yeah, Tokyo, Tokyo has no formal Chinatown until today yeah. because uh, the formal Chinatown is actually in... There's an informal Chinatown, right. but the formal Chinatown is in Yokohama. So Yokohama has always been a place of pan-Asianist interaction. And, and, and marami sa ating mga illustrados would either pass by Yokohama or would live in Yokohama. Right. They actually interact with other... Fall in love in Yokohama. Fall, 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 getting fall love in love letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's why until now if you go to Yokohama there's a, there's a, you, you will find a, a statue of of Jose Rizal diba um right and, oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah 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 so so i would recommend i would recommend um people mm. to again read the the book of my friend si Nicole Kuning Aboytis the oh Asian yeah the new book yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um Asian place uh, Philippine nation or uh, i forget the exact title um and she talks about of course the, the centrality of japan and the creation of a kind of pan asianist mindset Absolutely. and there she also talks about you know the the katipunan and their attempts to actually seek the support of tokyo for the philippine revolution right. because the thing at that time was this was the only way that you could make the philippine revolution survive was through the help of japan so effectively for us japan was always a kind of nationalist inspiration and, and the question is why the question, uh, of course, the answer lies in the fact that Japan was seen as the kind first of successful, uh, yeah, yeah, the first successful country, Asian yeah. modernization yeah. in the 19th century that they had taken what the Europeans had to offer by by means of technology and at that time, quote unquote, civilization, and right. had used it to to enrich themselves and to turn themselves into a power that could rival European powers. Yeah. This was, of course, proven by the fact that Japan had beaten the Russians. Right, the, uh, which was an event that was celebrated. Sorry for cutting you because I, I want to plug in also two fascinating books. One, one is Underground Asia. I reviewed that for Mekong Review, uh, and actually started with Rizal, no, the Rizal's revolutionaries. Another one is also Pankaj Mishras, no, the ruins. Ah, yeah, of- yeah. Oh. Fascinating. So the day that Japan beat Russia, 1905, right? This was celebrated from Cairo to Istanbul to Isfahan, all the way to East Asia. It was celebrated by the all. Post, I mean, all Eastern Oriental people, uh, whatever you want to put it, was the political uh, correct term. But let's not forget that Japan's modernization was a traumatic, traumatic event, right? Now, some of us, mga batang 90s, right? Or batang early 2000s, oh, you ma, I mean, uh, of course, your favorite natin, Samurai X, diba? Mm-hmm. Si, si uh, I mean, the si, Exactly. Si I'm, I'm like super fan of Kenji Nomura, like super, super. And then for me... I like the live action, bro, I'm not yeah, the, the, movie. the movie. The, the movie was really the oh, movie, like actually yeah, kind of really nice, so yeah. and very faithful to the cartoon. Absolutely, absolutely. So that, uh, you can find it on Netflix, by the way, all the different... Hindi lang pala isa. Napanood ko lang ng isa dito sa Manila. Kami lahat mga matatandang millennial lantun kami, di ba? Pinaktubak namin ni General Luna. Na, those were the days, pre-detected days. But going back to this, um, of course, the rural Kenshin, uh, the, the Kenshin Imura is the story of civil war, right? This is a civil war uh, that led to uh, the toppling of the Tokugawa, the insular uh, feudalistic regime. And the opening of Japan, right, to kind of a modernization and all. Now, of course, if you watch some uh, Last Samurai of Tom Cruise, if you're a little bit more Hollywood, that's also about how the elimination of the remnants of old feudal Japan. So the, the reason I love Pankaj Mishra is because you know he, he, uh, the Indian ace essays is because he talks about how modernity was traumatic for everyone, especially for successful countries like Japan, and how trauma that trauma would later on come to haunt them. But yes, you're right. Japan was the first oriental state which was successful enough, which was successful not only against a crumbling China. Uh, this is the Sino-Japanese War, which leads later on to, to occupation of Taiwan and also later on Korea, but also the defeat of Russia. I mean, the Russians were, after all, European, you know, even though we want to look at them different. They were European, right? This is Tsarist Russia, massive humiliation. So that day was very celebrated. But but Japan was increasingly also openly supporting right anti-colonial anti-European uh, movements anti-European colonialism movement across Southeast Asia etc. But but there's a debate, bro. No, the debate is was that genuine or was that really just a cover for Japan creating an, an alternative 
empire of its own through creating a, a network of proxies, right? Um, and, and for me, the answer is it, it depends because I think in early 20th century, Japan had a much more democratic cosmopolitan mm. direction, which later on will go crazy, right? By 1920s and 30s and all. But you, you tell me, what is your reading of that? Because you were also based in Kyoto in the South. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, it depends in, it depends on which Japanese. Um, if exactly. you look at Nippon's book, right? it also depends on sino hapon yung kausap ng katipunero at that time. So, ah, exactly. Correct. correct. Nicole, she, she, that, the, the, the reason why Nicole's book is wonderful is, is because it looks at, it looks at actually the diplomacy of the katipunan. In the extensive yung diplomacy with with the Japanese, but definitely they're interacting with various Japanese. And I haven't and last year ko pa binasa yung libro so hindi ko matandaan yung exact exact yeah. details. Asian place Filipino nation, a global yeah, intellectual history. Yeah. Pero ang nangyari dyan, it depends sa kausap nila. Some were more sympathetic. Some right. some 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 didn't want to get involved, and some really believed. Some people were were, were thinking of this as an assertion of Japanese power. Right. So right. so with any state, right? And what you is know, your read? What is your instinct? No, my instinct is tama si Nicole because I'm not a real I'm not a realist, right? I don't believe that state interests are fixed and that they, they're clearly defined. Yeah. I believe that I believe that depending on who you talk to, like iba iba talaga yung lumalabas sa state interests, and that's that that I think becomes very clear with yung katipunan interactions with Japan. And you know, there's evidence that, by the way, just to backtrack a little bit, there's also evidence that Rizal, of course, believed that the only way the revolution would survive. Would be through Japanese help, right? Because the Philippines was really just—I mean, it was the Katipuna was a secret society. I mean, let's remember right. the Katipuna was was a secret society. It was a right. vanguard organization. When, when you say vanguard organization, effectively you're saying maliit yan. Because kung kung secret ka at malaki ka, ma-discover ka kagad. So it was a small fledgling society. They were forced into revolution because they were discovered. So in many ways, yeah. they were not ready. Yeah. So, dun sa, so kung nakakandara pa ka na ganyan, right. effectively, kailangan mo talaga ng some kind of external support. And that's why many of them look to Japan. Kasi at the time, sino pa ba? I mean, who else in Asia right. would you have... This was this was possibly your if not if not the only then definitely the best, best example yeah. of Asian strength that you can find. What are your thoughts on on this issue? Yeah, no. Uh, oh, for me, I think there was. I mean, if you look at the Japanese poetry, right? It was fascinating. In there was this there, there was this line about like you know from the Arabs poetry, from the Chinese, you know, uh, literature. You know, like there was a lot of romanticism going on there, right? Because remember, after the traumatic first twenty five years of modernization, after major restoration, suddenly a lot of Japanese were feeling like. What's going on with us? Why are we like why are we parroting Western clothing and all of that? Like there was this search for authenticity. So I think Japan's attempt to rediscover itself inevitably led them to have a much more pan-Asian understanding of themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think there was really a genuine, some really top intellectuals. The names are not at the top of my head, but I can I, I can cite them later on in my I, I kind of cited some of them, them in my, some of my works. Pankaj Misha does a fantastic job. Like so I think there were some genuine attempts as as being the engine of revival of Asia because there was an understanding Asia was once great and can become great again, right? I, I think the Japanese had that strong set. So I think there was a moment of real, true cosmopolitan romanticism. And that's why I think, you know, uh, Illustrados, uh, you know, Chinese nationalist, Indian, uh, you know, uh, you know, Tagore types, they would find a very, very welcoming place in Japan, which was not kunyare lang. I think there was a lot of genuine appreciation for Pan-Asianism. And then, of course, Japan. Uh, but but Japan, of course, had to deal with the 
you know, horrors of exclusion from the West and the racism that they they face after First World War, etc. So Japan suddenly went. I, I use the term "gun girl," right? Remember the movie "Gun Girl," right? <laughs> the perfect, the perfect wife, the perfect woman, oh. the perfect, and then like she's that. So I think Japan went "gun girl" by 1920, especially after First World War, right? Um, so yeah, I yeah. think the first years there was some genuine attempts at opening up to Panasianism, and one of the things that really but remember there was this meeting I I don't know if it was Tokyo University or one of those top universities whereby all the nationalist students from all across Asia came together and then they invoke Rizal as their ultimate hero so I mean that was like whoa bro as in whoa bro I mean like so I wrote I wrote about this in my review of the book Underground Asia for Mekong Review you can check it yourself on, on Mekong Review site so that's why I think there was some sincere type and then things went dark that is why I mean I know we discussed this, but that's why I feel there, uh, there are people in China today who have kind of that element to them. But unfortunately, in China, the state interest is just so predominant in ways that Japan was not in the earlier years before it went totally fascist, right? Like 1930s, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we want to talk about this too much, but in in there are so many. There are also many similarities. And this we're, we're talking about interactions between Japanese history and uh, the, the Japanese in the Philippines prior to things going dark. But yeah. prior to things going dark, also there are similarities between the Philippines and Japan that make us kind of unique in Asia. So at least in my research, what I found is Interesting. The, the first two Asian countries to switch to the gold standard were the Philippines and Japan. So Japan switches to the gold standard. Uh, silver, silver country, silver area naman ang, ang, ang South ang Asia for right. the longest. But after the Germans um, pegged the mark to gold in the late 19th century, the Japanese soon follow suit. And then the next country that follows suit is the Philippines because it's under U U.S. control. And U.S. was a firm believer in the establishment of the gold standard everywhere. So they switched the Philippines to the gold standard. Right. Like the two gold standard countries. And the effect of that is actually... There's one crisis, the 1920 crisis, that right. affects Japan and the Philippines acutely. So in 1920 crisis, so after, so during the war, both Japan and the Philippines during the First World War right. actually built up their industries to supply the 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 participants in the war, and so our export industries went into overdrive during that period. Right. And then at the end of that, at the end of that, effectively, the collapse in export industries. Um, because nagkaroon ng deflationary trends in gold standard countries. And so you had the, in the Philippines, yung manifestation on was the practical collapse of the Philippine National Bank in 1920 as a result of that crisis. And then equally in Japan, you have the collapse of the Osaka, of the Osaka silk trade also in 1920. So uh, again, our friend, we, we invoke him in every episode. Yeah. Adam Tooze. Adam Tooze says that the 1920 global deflationary crisis was is the most underrated economic crisis in world history. There's some impact, yeah, yeah. In terms yeah, of impact. You're right, and it, you're right. The, I agree. And, and indeed, you see that most clearly in Philippines and Japan because Thailand, these are the two kind of gold standard countries yeah. that were most affected by the 1920 deflationary crisis. Right. So even in right. our economic history before, there were certain overlaps. And then, of course, during this time, you know, the collapse yung, the collapse yung, yung, yung industry natin. Another another industry that collapsed, of course, is the trading industry in Davao, the fishing industry in Davao, right. which was called Davao Co at that time because it was largely dominated by Japanese businessmen. Yeah, right. I, was looking at, I was looking at accounts of the 1920 crisis from, from Davao and there right. are letters there saying that 
Davao Coa is one of the most affected areas of the 1920 crisis because practically after that, there's no capital in Davao anymore. And the Japanese are trying to leave Davao in droves. Of course, it took a couple more, it took, I think, 10 or 20 more years before Davao Coa finally collapsed. But actually, right. 1920 was the initial, was, you know, the first death knell to this concept of the of Davao Coa. I can already see the book you're writing. No? I'm mean, like, mm, I see what's going on. I'm, I'm a writer myself. Right? I was like, Hmm, I see how you're invested in this. Now, I want to push you a little bit on this because <laughs> no, no, I know I know what's going on. No, definitely, I appreciate you plugging this in. Um, now the thing is, things go dark, but before things went dark, things got interesting because Magsaysay at some time, at some point, was playing footsie with the Japanese while negotiating our independence from US, right? I mean, there are fascinating uh, works on that. How and how you know Magsaysay would meet Japanese businessmen. Yes, yes, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mano Quezon, yes. Yeah, sorry, Mano Quezon, sorry. This I measure late, sorry. Quezon, Mano Quezon, right? So while he was while he was pushing for the independence from the U.S., he's also playing footsie with the Japanese, and you could see really Mano Quezon was really in tough spot because he wanted to reassure the Americans that Japan would become a threat if if ever Philippines becomes an independent nation because there were some strategies in the U.S. who were worried, especially the fire kind of people, that if the Philippines becomes independent, it will become a protectorate of Japan very shortly. So Manuel Quezon had to constantly reassure both sides. Once the Philippines is going to go on its own, it's going to be a reliable partner and not a source of threat or not a base right, for the enemy state. Right? It was a very de difficult, delicate thing happening yeah. there. Yeah. At the same time, Manuel Quezon was getting a little bit too cozy with Japanese business interests, right? Which kind of reminds you of like, in the Pogo level, in the Pogo level, but you know what I'm saying? Like they were like, I was like, what's going on here? Right? So wow. I think Manuel Quezon was, was in a situation where Duterte would later find himself or, or someone like Marcos Jr. is finding himself, right? Which is this very tricky situation where US is kind of going away, but still dominant. And then there's really a fast rising power nearby, giving you all sorts of nice, you know, ideas about the future and brotherhood and blah, 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 blah. And this is also when Japan was moving in a very dark direction, you know, moving into Manchuria, yes. so on and so forth. So, and, and you could see Manuel Quezon was kind of in denial about it. He had an interest to that play down the imperialist side of Japan because he wanted to get independent. I don't know, like, I find that fascinating as a, as a international relations scholar. Like, I see a lot of parallels between what was happening then and what's happening today. But you tell me, like, how do you understand the Manuel Quezon kind of triangulation, or you just rather leave it to me and let's move forward? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, totoo naman talaga siya, and and we really, in terms of yung intensity of the, of Japanese business in the Philippines, I think uh, again, maalala naman natin si Duterte because Davao is really the center of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The 1930s and 40s, diba? I, I, there's an, an academic friend of mine called this in many ways, the, the age of global tuna, because Davao, General Santos City, these were places that were, that were part of that age of tuna. And you know what Katsubushi right, is? Right, that, right, that, right, that, right, 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 right. Na, na mo, mo on top of the Japanese uh, of, of fish. Um, there was there was a lot of katsubushi apparently being produced in, in Davao during this time during this so-called age of tuna. So definitely, mero kanung Japanese business interests here. And the way we the the way we study this is we we have to really deepen our study of Mindanao. Um, and there are people, of course, like George Abenales who have done this. And right. we should it's fantastic. We should study it a bit more. So Kazon is aware of this, but what is he? What's the other thing that he's doing as Commonwealth President? Yeah, he asks. A retired general, 
and I'm sure you know the name of this retired general, a retired U.S. general to mm-hmm. come to the Philippines to establish the a Philippine army because he knows that by virtue of our alliance with the United States and because of our geostrategic importance, yeah. we could get into a war. So yeah. MacArthur comes to the Philippines and he starts to set up a Commonwealth Army of the Philippines. So yeah. he's actually retired. So actually during this period, MacArthur is not under the employ of the U.S. government. He's, he's a practically yeah. he's a contractor. employee. Yeah, contract. Contract of the Philippines. Mercenary. He's a mercenary. Yeah. Crescent's mercenary. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, let's move forward here because this is a secret history. So obviously, we're not supposed to talk about everything that happened, right? Um, Okay. Tell me this, Leloy. Um, I know both were responsible, but if you read the book Rampage, it would really blame the Americans for bombing you know you know you know wiping off manila off the face of earth really and, and during the second world war but but the traditional argument is that it's really the fault of japan that japan were just so brutal and all that they left no choice for the americans you tell me about it like how should we blame everything on japan or to what degree is the devastation of the philippines especially manila towards the end of the war blamable on the japanese because i know i know i know manong frankie wrote something about this about how brutal the japanese were they were like even killing like like even pets and all, right? Leaving no living thing behind. But but essentially, you have this book, Rampage, which says like, you know, the Americans didn't also have to go and bomb the whole place, right? They could have risked a little yeah. bit of their own and they could have saved a lot of Filipino lives and, and of course, structures and all. You tell me about that because I think this is a bit controversial topic. I think Manuel Quezon kind of blocked me after that. I mean, the third, right? Because we had some back and forth on Twitter on this issue and I felt he was a little bit too nice to the Americans and, and then he blocked me after. I don't, anyway, don't worry. I know you're a good friend, so we don't have to get into this. But this is something tricky and controversial. So I wanted to ask your point of view on this. I'm critical of U.S. No, I, I, I'm very I, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't studied this in great, in, in great detail. So I, I, I would just have to punt and say, yeah, it's you know, classic liberal answer. It's, it's probably both. I mean, I understand, like you, you, you know, somebody of Manong Frankie's generation. I mean, just think of them. Parang these are the people na talagang pinamuka sa kanila ng hapon yung brutality eh. because yeah, i mean you know this is the generation that went through the death march and you know what happened in the batan so you know just 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 a background yung batan death march was of course um after 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 the fall of batan the POWs Filipinos and Americans had to be marched into uh, PO, POW camp kasi hindi naman right. pwedeng sa batan so in that in that march a lot of them were dehydrated a lot of them were 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 just collapsing, but they were forced to continue to march. And some of them, kung kung kumalaglag ka, you'd be bayoneted, right? So so it was it was a very traumatic experience for for right. people. In fact, it's so traumatic that if you look at the U.S. documents about bombing Hiroshima and Nagasaki, if you look at the back and forth ng White House at that time, one of the justifications for bombing Japan was they were willing to make us go through a Bataan death march. Surely they deserve to get bombed this way. That, that's uh-huh. how that's, so that's the that's how, Philippine, yeah. That's where Philippines is so important again, shaping imperial strategy. Oh, that's how that's I mean, so that's how traumatic it was. Mm. And then of course, well, yeah. generation. Pero the people who talk to this generation, alam naman natin na ang pinakamasakat sa kanila from the Japanese ay yung sampal. Diba? Yung sampal. Kasi may dignity, may dignity mukha eh. That's why in Asian society, of course, like 
exactly. you lose face. face. This was yeah. literally an act of like destroying your face in Asampal. And this is actually, this is not exclusive to the Philippines. If you look at Indonesian history, one of the reasons why one of the reasons why Indonesians also dislike the Japanese and why you have the, some of the greats of Indonesian society, like you know, Sutan Siari, my idol in Indonesian history. Um, you know, they they all document similar acts of brutality na related to the face yung pagsampal talaga it's it's, it's interesting now let's go to this uh, I like how you didn't really answer that's not leloy no, I'm just kidding I'm just speaking I mean I สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ่งที่สิ
Right. Right? They didn't really need to change much in the bureaucracy yeah. because Quezon's bureaucracy largely held under the Japanese. Right. And, and it's not because they were traitorous collaborators. It was because utos ni boss, utos ni Quezon, sabi ni Quezon, don't let our people suffer. Right? If you if you allow the bureaucracy to corrupt, collapse under the Japanese, and they will suffer. So continue right. your work. That's it. That's technically, Quezon's order. So, you know, so technically, you could accuse anyone of being a collaborator and again, problematic in politics of collaboration. So, for example, Rojas. Like, Rojas was a collaborator, um, but he was close to Magsaysay, uh, to, to MacArthur, so he becomes the, the immediate post-war president. Now, you know, is it is it bad that Rojas collaborated? I'm not entirely sure, but, you know, um, it's just the fact that some people could escape the taint of... What's what's bad is some people could escape the taint of collaborationism. Some, some people... Yeah. And right, the yeah. it became a kind of um, venue for score setting afterwards. Um, right. Yeah. So no. I I, right. I wanted to ask um, from a, from a kind of geopolitical standpoint, um, what are your thoughts about this? Uh, if we're moving to this immediate post-war period after the occupation of Japan, how yeah, does this how, yeah. does how does this create the Philippine state in your mind? Yeah. I, I wanted to jump into that, but right, uh, but right before that, speaking of uh, secret history, of course, a, a very interesting figure, illustrado figure, or latest, or was Ricarte, right? Uh, Artemio Ricarte, right? Uh, uh, the whole, you know, the whole novel was written on him by by. Our... So we're still in the period. Uh, in the period where we're still occupied by Japan. Yeah, the occupation. Okay. Yeah, actually not backdrop. I'm not. I'm just pausing it, moving forward. Like. Um, can you tell us uh, can tell our audience about this this very interesting figure right because he was among the very few who refused to pledge allegiance to the united states aguinaldo was eventually forced you know uh, what's his name um manuel quezon joins the system but he really refused but he ended up in japan it's kind of a tragic situation right that in order to avoid um uh you know subservience to america and hold up the flag for the philippines he ends up in a essentially fascist Japan, right? And he raises a family in fascist Japan. Then he comes back and he's together with like General Yamashita, right? I mean, he wrote super creepy stuff, right? Like when he arrived in the Philippines with the Japanese, he was the guy singing the peroration of this is the liberation of the Philippines. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, Saddam's falling and, you know, it, it was really creepy reading that. And you could see this guy was really out of touch by now. And then later on, I think he also dies, I think here in Cordilleras, right? Um, with oh, Yamashita. Very weird to say, I guess, I guess your mindset, it's... It's a bit like, you know, parang these days when you have um somebody who was raised in the 1960s who thinks that everything the US does to us is imperialist and everything yeah. the US does may kasamang CIA. Yung ganun, yung parang and in the same way, China and Russia are our saviors. And are our saviors. You know, yung parang annoying, <laughs> pathetic way of just one way. Walang Exactly. Well, an old guy who who takes the terms of politics from 50, 40 years ago and applies them to the present. That was the case of Ricardo si, si Vibora, the viper. That's what I'm saying. Was, yeah, it's, called, it reminds me of these fake left people who are pro-China and pro-Russia, whatever, just because they hate US for the bad things US did 50, 60, 100 years ago, right? And they're they're blind to the reality of what they're you know supporting. You know, the, the other said what Russia is doing to Ukraine, what China is doing to us, etc. Now I just want to talk about now going to the post-war. I mean, I think Japan. Japan represents one of the most successful cases of geopolitical rehabilitation, right? Yes. Considering, I mean, I don't know if you have, have you been in Yasukuni Shrine? Have you been in Yasukuni? Uh, ayoko, ayoko, Brad. Okay, I was ayoko. in Yasukuni with a good friend of mine who actually 
although he happens to be a little bit more conservative Japanese. So he, we went to Yasuo and I went to the museum, right? And, and there's a museum there that talks about Second World War and they call, you know, like Nan, Nanking incident, you know, it's like, I, I know it's more than an incident, like some horrible things happen there, right? Like, so, so obviously it's very different from what you see in Berlin, right? You go to Berlin, there's a monument, you know, there, there's a whole Holocaust, you know, uh, reminders, you know, it's like, like the the Germans are twenty four seven apologizing to the world for the horrible things they did back then, right? And they have very clear legislations against historical revisionism and all. Japan is very different. Japan is very very different from that. I'm not even going to go yeah. to Abe-san's, you know. Of, so yeah, alam mo I already told Richard, de ba parang yung mga fans ng Yasukuni like Abe for example, or, they or, are or defenders of like conservative imperial Japanese history. But um, one of the least hardline about, and one of the most apologetic, for example, about the legacy of the war is the emperor himself. Now, remember, um, when Abe went to the shrine, a number a number of his cabinet officials resigned yeah. after went right. to the Yasuo This is the first Abe, right? 2005, 2006, 2007, something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. 2007. Uh, nag sila. Kasi, so for our viewers, yung Yasukuni shrine is, a, is, is the place where don't don't really bang you mga Japanese imperialists. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, okay, first of all, it's 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 like a, it's a it's a sacred place. It just oh. happens that in the sacred place, meron really... burial site on class A war criminal. Let, let's just this is a sacred place. So my, oh. I, I have all due respect for them. You know, I have a lot of respect. So, for them. Si Prime Minister may mga ano doon, may mga buried doon na war. Yan ang nag-controversial. Otherwise, oh. the shrine is a sacred place. It's a beautiful place. It's a, but it's that so, part. Si, yeah, yeah. Pero so may association siya with right-wing rhetoric. But ang hindi alam ng mga Pilipino, do you know what the emperor did afterwards? Hindi naman pwedeng mag-comment on politics yung emperor. Is this Hirohito? Is this Hirohito? Yeah. Sino ba emperor at that time? Basta, Hirohito, uh, yeah, yeah, Hirohito. Swabi yeah, 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 yeah. yung ginawa niya kasi yeah. he in, publicly invited to dinner directly after yung cab, a cabinet yeah, official. Hirohito. Correct, Hirohito. A cabinet official that had resigned from the Abe government. So hindi siya... Hindi ka hindi siya nagko-comment on yung nangyari pero parang alam mo na yung thought niya di ba you invite right. to you dinner somebody who just resigned from the Abe government because of the Yasukuni shrine so actually the emperor is uh, um based on mga nakausap ko sa Japanese actually is kind of a, a real pacifist and has a bit of a social democratic mindset iba yung iba yung hulmahan iba yung hulmahan ng emperor at that time so the imperial family is not as right wing as some of the yeah, some of the elite politicians who came to speak for his for him and for that particular history Absolutely. so that's that's just 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 a bit of a and, and the history of the imperial family is interesting right and in many cases they were besieged by the samurai class wars in many cases they were checking the excesses of them so it's a very complex fascinating history and it's the oldest imperial family in in, yeah. in, in the world right like more than a thousand years probably one 1500 yeah. uh years now the, going back to the, your question i think again in spite of all of that, Japan really worked its way back into the hearts of Southeast Asia, right? I mean, yeah, all Koreans don't like Japan, Chinese don't like Japan, but that's a lot of that is state-driven. Uh, but Taiwanese love Japan. Much of Southeast Asia is super pro-Japan. If you look at the Institute for Southeast Asian Studies surveys of thought leaders, disclosure, I, I'm part of those surveys. Japan always comes on top in terms of most preferred external partner. In the Philippines, SWS, Pulse Asia, number two priority in Japan, not from, from the U.S. So, Despite the lack of German style, 
you know, like go, you know, to Poland and apologize for the horrible thing. All of that, no Holocaust monument. They don't have any of those things similar in Japan. Despite all of that, still Japan was able to become a, a really a, a respected and beloved, not only respected, but beloved. I, I call it stealth superpower because Japan cannot have a normal military, right? Because of their constitution. But still they develop defensive capabilities and they're 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 playing around and moving around their their article 9 of their constitution but you see japan really wait, work, work it's i mean japan is the soft power superpower right of the 20th century right they work their way back with manga with dragon ball z right with all of these things we love samurai x and fascinating techno culture j-pop was a thing back in the day mga mas matatang millennial alam namin j-pop kaya purong k-pop lang yung mga kabataan ngayon we knew j-pop naabutan ko yung j-pop days no um so for me, yeah, yeah. And then of course the great thing is Philippines was a special part of that strategy of rehabilitation of Japan, right? We, they chose ADB to be based in the Philippines. And by the way, this decision was under Makapagal, not under Marcos. Marcos pumasok ADB na, but grabbers, But this is a Makapagal era. They chose the Philippines. So you could see how Southeast Asia and the Philippines was at the forefront of Japan's way of gaining and winning its way back into the hearts of the region. So Japan, through war, was not able to create an East Asia co-prosperity zone. But post-war, they were able to create an East Asian co-prosperity zone via their economic superpower, right? That's a fascinating thing. Okay, so, so, uh, so in light of that, parang my favorite author of here, yeah. Um, and kind of an indirect mentor as well is uh, si Shireishi, Takashi Shireishi or Shireishi Takashi Sensei. And he really writes about Japan as the number two in in Asia. So number one, of course, the Big Brothers U.S. and then the Middle right. Brother, the Japan in this time U.S.-led post post-war system. Right. And talks about the Plaza Accord of 1985 as creating a kind of region that that had Japan at the center of that. So what is the Plaza Accord? The Plaza Accord effectively, maraming nangyari sa Plaza Accord, but it's named after the Plaza Hotel. Uh, so 1985 or 1984 ba? Effectively, na, na, na appreciate yung yen relative to the US dollar. Oh, let's be clear. Japan was forced to appreciate uh, forced, it forced, because forced, America forced. could not accept. So this is a Reagan strategy of uh, forcing Japan not to compete with them, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's just kasi, that, kasi ang, ang style ng Japanese is export-oriented, di ba? So parang yung China ngayon, 1985, mura yung currency, mura yung exports. Hindi na kaya na so effectively, they, they had to raise the rate, pinilit nila to raise the rate of the, the Japanese yen. And some people, you know, many Japanese scholars think that this really initiates the yung, yung decline of yung the heat ng Japanese. That, yeah. that, that leads to, yung, of course, the deflationary trends ng Japan that you, you see until present. But anyway, yung effect ng sa Southeast Asia is you ha- effectively have a strong yen. Um, this is no longer, therefore, an export-oriented yen. This is a right. yen that wants to invest in places with weaker currencies because it's been appreciated. And, and those right. places with weaker currencies are effectively Southeast Asia. And so that then occasions this parang period of, of, of joint Southeast Asian-Japanese projects. And yung best example yan for us, of course, is the Tamarao FX, di ba? Yung Tamarao FX yes, yung Toyota. Yes, yes, yes. Tamarao FX. Yung Tamarao FX, di ba, is, it's a Japanese car, pero hindi na siya pwedeng made in Japan kasi mahal na yung yen, di ba? Plaza Accord. So it's a Japanese car, but it's made in the Philippines where the peso is cheap and you can sell it to Philippines. Cheap car 
for everyone, diba? I, I read in a newspaper na gusto nga lang nilang ibalik yung, ano, yung Tamarao FX. So, so effectively, it creates that kind of new trading region and kind of regionalization. And, you know, Tamarao FX is your, 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 your best example of that. So, I would suggest, like, this is, I, I, not necessarily this book, uh, because marami na siyang libro. Works but, by him, uh, yes. Yeah. Shireishi, Shireishi's books are, are great because he is a, Japanese bureaucrat um, scholar, but he's also an expert on Southeast Asia. So right. it's one of the rare Absolutely. examples of a guy who, who has cabinet level official positions, right. you know, wow. who 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 leads, for example, president who is president of um RIPS, um Graduate Research Institute right. of Policy Studies in Japan. Um but he's also in Indonesia as well. So a very, very unique perspective. Right. Was a you know married to one of the great um, literary critics of the Philippines, Carol Carol Howe. Um, so oh, yeah, um, there's oh, no better oh, for me. There's no better. They're married. Oh, oh shucks, I didn't know that. that yeah. they came up. The, the, yeah. I had no idea. Really? Oh, yes. For me, there's no there's no better source on kind That's of Southeast Asia and Japan yeah. than, than uh, Shireishi Sensei. Yeah, really brilliant man. Fascinating. Now, I don't. I don't now let's go to the latter part of the, the the this podcast. We were supposed to make it shorter, but you and me, as always, right? We cannot, we really can't. I mean, this is it. Um, really, for me, what makes Japan fascinating is because it's the only major power with which, parang regardless of kung sino president ng Philippines, relations were were perfect, right? Aquino loved Japan. He went there like six times, right? He gave this major speech in 2015 before the Japanese died, and essentially said, no. Japan is not the threat. They're not the Nazi Germany. The threat is from China. And we support the Japan that is more proactive. That was, an imp- that was a very important speech that essentially gave the green light for Abe to say there's a demand for Japan to play more proactive defense and foreign policy. Yes. And that gave also the impetus for Abe to push for, well, he didn't get the numbers to push for a revision or amendment of the constitution, but they came up with ways to work around it, right? I mean, for instance, the doctrine of collective self-defense, blah, 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 blah. So he played the game, right? And then Duterte comes in, completely hates US, completely loves Putin and China, but loves Japan. The term uses closer than brother. And you could see, remember Abe resigned in 2021. I think he cried when Abe was assassinated. I won't be surprised. I think there's something really deep there. There's really deep there. And you discussed this, the Davao connection. with but but the thing is this: the Japanese are just so good in dealing with whoever is the Filipino president. They're just masters of that, right? I remember yeah. a conversation with the Japanese when Abe was about to come to the Philippines. I gave some advice because that's my job, right? I give advice on how to improve relations, well, on to different partners and friends, and they did it even better than I suggested. Like literally, na breakfast in bed sila Abe and Duterte sa Davao, right? Remember don sa di ba yung bongo? durian. Yeah, exactly. The way okay, that was a bit too much of personal diplomacy, but that's how Japanese are good. Like, like wow, napagana. Obviously, you know, I, I remember I remember yeah. talking to an embassy official and Alice Duterte. Parang, are you concerned at all? Kasi galit sa US and they're like us? Yeah. Concerned about Duterte? Of course not. <laughs> He's he loves us. Parang, parang, yeah, they exactly. just rushed it off. Yeah, and and bro, uh, I don't know. If people... They're like he's from Davao. Like deep ties with the Japanese. Yeah, it, it, it goes, it goes all the way, bro. It goes. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing with Japan also, bro. Abe, deeper golf. He did golf diplomacy with Trump. My understanding is Abe talked to Trump before Trump went to Manila 
And then they had this beshi moment with Duterte. So, like, Japan was doing this middle brother thing mm -hmm. all along. This is the crucial phase of uh, first 12 months of Duterte, especially from, let's say, November, you no know, elections in the U.S., and now see Trump. Remember, Abe's was the first one to meet him or try to call Trump. So he was doing that. So Abe was doing a lot of things in the region, bro, especially putting Duterte, Trump together. Not that it was too difficult, but he played that middle brother, you know, intermediary role also from what I understand. So really fascinating thing. And remember now the term is Indo-Pacific. I have a whole book just on the Indo-Pacific, right? Um, That's Abe. That's Abe. Really, it's an Abe based on his speech in 2006 before the Indian parliament, etc. I'm taking over here a little bit, bro. And this is, really, this is really my passion, right? I mean, I've written books on this and I'm reading more on this. So this is it. Like Japan is, is so good in keeping so special relationship with everyone. And now Bombo Marcus also loves Japan, right? He goes to Japan. Next thing you know, he's like giving it. Let's go. Like, like, para hindi lang siya pumunta sa China lang to, uh, like three weeks earlier. No? And, uh, like, on the way na sa Japan, diba? Like, oh my God. Yung Pilipino, ganyan din mag-isip eh. Parang kung meron akong trip abroad, Japan ang una, unang destination ko eh. And, you know, like, the reason why we love Japan so much is because, like, nag-loosening nag visa restrictions. I remember in the But 90s. Korea, bro. Korea is horrible. Well, in the 90s and thousands, it was so difficult to get a visa in Japan. Now I have a, a 10-year yeah. multiple entry visa to Japan, and I just go whenever I want. And when I was, and I think that's because I lived in Japan. That's why I'm a bait yeah, since also, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's still slightly exceptional. But just the fact that. So I remember when I was living in Japan, 20, 2016, every summer, you know, every month, Filipino. Pacific flights Japan, and they all wanted to see, they all wanted to see the cherry blossoms. So I, I remember in the 90s, you know, people, you know, rich Filipinos would go to Hong Kong for the weekend. You know, these days, I think rich Filipinos middle go to class Japan. Filipinos. No, you even, know, even, not middle even rich middle class, class, class now, middle class, they go to Japan. Yeah, but mm. bro, the rich go to, you know, French Riviera, come on. Uh, uh, yeah. Very busy. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 diba, parang, you, you really, you really love Japan. And of course, when the emperor, kailan ba nag-visit yung emperor? Was that 2018, 2019 to Manila? Right? And he was effectively, you know, treated like a rock star. And you know what? Like talking to Japanese, think, bro, talking to Japanese sensei, yeah, yeah. there's a part of them that it still does. can't believe it. There's a part of them that still can't because I used to work in the center for Southeast Asian studies in Kyoto, Japan. Yeah. And mga Japanese sensei, mga Tagalog speaking, they remember na yung mga sensei nila, so the immediate post-war generation that studied the Philippines, takot yan pumunta ang Pilipinas. They had to because they were studying the Philippines, but there was a lot of apprehension. Baka suntukin sila, baka awayin sila, ganyan. Oh, because and, of the World War II. Yeah, and, and oh. yeah, so may memories pa nun. So these were, this was a generation of Japanese Filipinists who had to learn how to play basketball, for example, who had to make sure that their Tagalog was perfect, was brilliant, and very malambing because they knew that the notion of Hapon was still very scary for these people. Yung boomer generation now, parang they may konti ng transition, they're a lot more comfortable with the Philippines. And then yung current generation, yung mga ka kaedad natin, people like Wataru Kusaka, pag pumunta ang Pilipinas yan, halabira yan, maglalasing yan, manunod yeah. ng eraser. Mas Pinoy yan sa atin. Mas Pinoy yan sa atin. Oh, mas Pinoy pa sa atin, di ba? So, but, but, 
pero but yung mga sensei but in you know, pero yung sensei nila they look at they look at this younger generation go wow ang swerte niyo naman yeah, kasi kung sa Pilipinas takot yung mga tao sa amin but yung, yung kind of vote fast is so is so is so quick and but that's that's also you know a credit credit goes credit to you know Japanese scholars of the Philippines you know people like Uh, Hiromu Shimizu. Yeah, uh, say the names because Wataru I people should Kusaka, know. That. You know, people like Hiromu Shimizu, Wataru Kusaka, um, Itaru Nagasaka. These people, they're very sensitive scholars. Hindi sila yung mga parang Amerikano na darating sa Pilipinas. Yeah, yeah. Sabihin sa inyo Sabi, ta, sabihin, ah, lahat kayo corrupt. Parang ganyan. Hindi, yeah, these are judgmental. Uh, listen, yeah. listen, listen to us. Pontificating, really, pontificate. Yeah, they don't, they don't pontificate, and that, and I think this is in a way, parang a legacy of a legacy. Of I, I know this like, is gonna sound weird, but I noticed that with Germans too. Sorry, sorry for cutting you. I noticed Germans are the same, especially in the Middle East, for instance. Like, like when Americans or British or French are there, they kind of like annoying. But when the Germans are there, they're very in tune with the region. I, I don't know. Let me. I I didn't want to say it because of the German. Oh. But weirdly, German scholars are also similar. They're very non-Orientalist when they study the Orient. It's really from genuine Mahal perspective. So, you know, somebody like um, um, Nagano, Nagano Sensei from Kanagawa University, Shimizu Sensei from Kyoto University, all, all these sensei na talagang anthropologists and in love with Filipino nationalism. Of course, si, si Wataru na kung magtagalog uh, kala, kung magtagalog talagang ano. Kalia Tagalog, yeah. It's yeah. common with Tagalog and he sure. loves the and Yoyo Villame more than we do. I mean, iba, iba yung iba yung Japanese. Kaya tayo, no? Ako nagyan ako sarili ko. I have a Japanese student, by the way, who's, who's uh, actually is a diplomat. He speaks Tagalog in class better than me, so I feel awkward. So, so nakakainis yung mga gay, mga po nang galing mag Tagalog. Tapos yung pagkatagalog lang, cute. Yung talagang gangster, di ba? Yung parang si Duterte yeah. sapin niyo, hindi ako, di ba? Ay, by the way, Duterte cannot speak really Tagalog. Okay, anyway. Um, Tagalog. Yeah, yeah. Let's end on this note, bro, because I know you have to go and again, as usual, we went more than two hours. Just a question, bro. Um, What do you think about this whole VFA military defense thing? I mean, because Japan seems to be entering a new era now. You know, I mean, they're doubling their defense spending as a share of GDP. Oof, they're now getting the super majority. Who knows? Maybe even the revision of Article 9 is not as impossible as we thought. The China threat is becoming serious. They want to develop counter-strike capability. And then now VFA with the Philippines. BBM suddenly is in the middle of this. I call it the new quad. No, remember, the quad is India, Australia, Japan, US. But we know India was really not there. It was really alliance of convenience. But Philippines now, a fellow US ally, together with Japan, Australia, often like, a lot of this happening. Like, what, as a historian, do you find an irony in it? Do you think this is so Filipino? Like... And, uh, what happened? What happened now? It's a new era. Let's deal with it. Oh, how do you see it as a historian? Uh, you already know. As a historian, it's not unique, diba? because history is a history of geopolitical align- realignment and yeah, alignment. alignment. So, hindi naman ibig sabihin na amnesia, napaka, napaka, ano, napaka short-sighted naman to just say that that's amnesia because it's, it, I think it is a, a, a rational and correct response to the fact that there is a, a new imperial power, which is China. I mean, it, it, it's that simple. And we talked about Vibora earlier on, diba? si, si Ricarte. Yeah. The problem with Ricarte is that he's not understanding who the new imperial powers are yeah. given particular historical junctures. And and of course, the, the, the problem here is a lot of people like to think that the imperial power of their youth 
is still the imperial power of today. And the therefore, eternal empire. Yeah, the eternal empire fallacy. The eternal, and therefore, you have to extend that struggle. But a lot of it is really just nostalgia for your youth activists. And they, this is the problem with many of our boomer activists. Now they look at the they look at contemporary politics from from the perspective of the past. And and so and so and so they 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 apply that to today, which is which is which is you know doesn't make any sense any sense what whatsoever, right? Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know. But don't what know. about the issue of? I mean, this is the thing. It's not like, you know, I think. But Japan has to come clean on the apology yeah. to the comfort women. They have to. Oh, no, man. Oh. So I, 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 I've, I've been on the record. I've told their friends. I mean, like, you need to deal with this issue. You cannot just, you know, shove it, you know, below the rug. I mean, because the pro-China elements are going to use that very well against you, right? I mean, ano lang to talaga politika lang to. Gagamitin mga pro-China element tong issue ng comfort to to demonize Japan. So J- J- I know Japan is very popular in the Philippines, but they have to do something about this. This is a question of sincerity. This is a question of and these victims they deserve something for that. No, I mean, what yeah. is it to talk about Marcos atrocities and then forget about Japan and all of that? Yeah. I don't know. Like I just want to end on this I note. Richard, it's show natin, no? Be that being reasonable many times is actually politically expedient, right? You want to rehabilitate the legacy of Ninoy Aquino, be reasonable, admit yung mapagkukulang and yet present the picture of his heroism. This is what we discussed today. Right. You want US you, you want Japanese Philippine relationships to be strong amidst a growing China and you want to create goodwill for that be reasonable say that this is the required alliance that we need today yeah. but recognize also the violence of the past and apologize exactly. for it reasonability makes perfect political sense many times yeah and except reasonable is very hard right uh, for yeah. emotional historical issues but this is it this is what political will is all about so I hope our president our governments respective governments in Tokyo Manila do the right thing and we don't just rush things I mean, China is a is a threat, sure, but that doesn't mean we should forget all of the other priorities. I think we have to approach this in a reasonable way, and I agree with you. Thank you very much, bro. I really appreciate it. Oh. I think it was fascinating. Maybe next time, read more on the Ronin and Samurai, <laughs> and we can talk oh. about more about and a Gundam. Because my plan is to make a Gundam version for Philippines or something. Yeah, wow. my dear bro, my plan because it's not successful. So, tapos yung si Apo Lakay, diba? he's supposed to have what, ano, yung mga robots and all of that. You know, so, yeah, we can talk about those things, right? Uh, Voltes, okay. Voltes 5, man, diba? uh, speaking of Voltes 5, because my Voltes 5 din kami sa UP. Ito yung mga five terror profs uh, math oh. na dapat oh. mabutan. Siguradong babaksak ka. So, uh, talaga iniwasan dapat namin yung mga ganun, eh, diba? So anyway, thank you so much, bro. I really appreciate it. I know you got a jiu-jitsu to go and I got, you know, like a bit of sleep because later on it's my UFC fight. John Jones, gone. I'm super hyped up for that. So I'm thank watching, you, I'm watching too. I'm watching too. Yeah, bro. That's that's the I I'm I'm really it's I'm having a hard time picking. I, I love Gun. I think he's a fascinating guy, but John Jones. This is his chance to be the greatest of all time. Of goats. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, wow. It's really oh, something, it's a GSP as a goat. I know. Oh, yeah, GSP is special, bro. He's now a lifestyle guru. So if you guys want to learn about keto diet, about, you know, uh, fro- I mean, like, you're going to ice bathing, I don't know, whatever. He's the guy. And and, and he's a good looking guy. So, you know, he's, he's easy on die if you want to. <laughs> You want to learn about easy lifestyle and all. And J-pop. Let's talk about more J-pop. Because, bro, ang, ang conspiracy ko, the only reason na mas sikat ang K-pop is because mas marami English. Diba yung mga parang, parang uh, K-pop is like, Korean, Korean, and then the salilia, I love you, my friend. And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, they just put it more American twist and then they beat the Japanese because the Japanese is mostly Japanese, right? You know, so so I feel the cosmopolitan thing was where the Koreans beat the Japanese. Otherwise, 
I'm a big fan of Japanese uh, cinema. I, I'm a big fan of Japanese uh, arts and history and all. So kaya nga, even though I'm a Taekwondo guy, I've been dealing with Koreans since childhood. I'm always gonna say mm, Japan iba parin eh. Anyway, thank you so much, bro. I appreciate it. Speaking of Japan, jiu-jitsu, enjoy it. And let's talk about UFC next. Who knows? Okay. Let's, let's do that. Let's do the GOAT okay. conversation. Gun and, uh, and I love this guy. They're fascinating. Thank you so right. much, bro. Talk to you, you soon. Bro.